Hello and welcome to the Collier Democratic Roundup, the official podcast of the Collier County Democratic Party. My name is Jeff Spencer and I'm the vice chair of the Collier County Democratic Party and the host of this podcast. Thank you guys for clicking on. This is another special episode of the Roundup where we bring you the candidate spotlight of Florida House District 105 candidate Maureen Porras. A reminder, this recording is of a live event and there may be some minor audio glitches, but we always feel that the opportunity to hear from a candidate outweighs the slight technical hiccup. This event was recorded on August 4th. Hi, everybody. Welcome to our candidate spotlight. Today is August 4th, and we have the pleasure of having Maureen Porras with us. Maureen is running for candidate. um, She's a candidate for Florida House uh, 105, and Maureen has taken the time to come and speak with us today and tell us about uh, her perspective, her campaign, and uh, why she believes that she would be the best representative for us. Uh, for those of you that are not familiar with her district, it actually uh, kind of traverses three counties. Obviously, Collier County is within her district, but she also has uh, constituents in Miami-Dade and Broward County. So if you look at your screen right now, you will see that um, there are a lot of grayed out counties, but the ones that Maureen hopes to represent uh, are portions of Collier, portions of Broward, and portions of Miami-Dade. And I also want to bring your attention to the website um, that Ms. Poras has, uh, maureenporas.vote. That is her website, and any questions you have that we don't cover tonight, or if you want more information about her campaign or where she stands on the issues, I invite you to visit her website um, and find out more about her. Um, Ms. Poras is in a primary. She has a primary opponent, Mr. Javi Estevez, and so um, Javi Estevez and Maureen Porras will face each other in the Democratic primary, and on August 18th, when that primary is decided, the winner of the two will move on to the November 3rd general election. So we are really honored to have Maureen with us today. How are you doing today? Hi, good evening, everyone. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank I'm doing you. well. Thank you for joining us. Um, would you would you just tell us a little bit about yourself for those of uh, those of the people that have logged on that haven't had an opportunity to meet you yet? Just tell us something about yourself. Yes. Um, so again, my name is Maureen Porras. I am running for State House District 105, and I'm currently an immigration attorney. I have been serving our immigrant community for over 11 years. In fact. That's what I've dedicated my entire career to, just serving um, families and underserved populations. I currently manage um, a nonprofit and I manage actually their legal departments. I oversee nine legal departments and um, directly in six different states. And I directly manage um, three here in South Florida, including in the Tri-County area, Palm Beach, Broward and Miami. And um, I'm an immigrant too. I was actually born in Nicaragua, came to the US when I was seven. Um, My mom actually came to the US before I did. I was about six months old when she left and I unfortunately wasn't reunited with her until I was uh, seven years old. And you know, those are really the types of sacrifices that a lot of immigrants make um, to escape, you know, horrible country conditions, communism, and to find a better life and better opportunities for their children. And so, um, you know, my own immigrant experience, along with the diverse and beautiful culture that we find in South Florida, and the need for um, representation and immigration services really led me to pursue a career in immigration law. 
Um, it really wasn't easy. I was the first one to graduate from college um, for my family. I actually worked through high school. I worked full time through college while attending full time college. It was it was very difficult, but you know, I'd, I had to do it because I knew I wanted to represent my community and I wanted to use the legal channels, honestly, which I feel are very important. Um, and so after college, I, I went to law school. Um, I am a proud um, graduate of, of our public school system. I went through elementary school, middle school and high school here in South Florida. Um, and then um, ended up having to leave to Jacksonville for th uh, three years for law school. And so, um, you know, now I, I'm back here in Miami and and I've, it's Miami and South Florida has been my home for over 23 years. And, um, you know, the last four years under this administration has been extremely challenging. I mean, that's really the nicest word I can find <laughs> for the last three or four years. And um, it's extreme. It has been extremely challenging for, um, you know, us that work in the immigration field, mostly because of all the different anti-immigration policies. And, um, you know, it, it's it's been so hard that I I got to the point where I really couldn't help people in the way that I wanted to anymore. And so you know, I realized we really need a change in policies. We need a change in leaders. Um, the state at the state level, we we need the same. We needed um, to change our laws and, and we needed to change our leaders as well. And, um, you know, my district is really one of the most flippable districts in South Florida. Um, I knew we had a, unfortunately, representative that didn't really represent us. In fact, um, you know, she was, I, I live in Doral. She was vice mayor of Doral and council person in Doral. So I knew her and she was even my neighbor. So I knew, you know, um, who this particular person was. And, and unfortunately, when I, um, when we elected her in 2018, I was, I was very disappointed. And um, especially since she was someone that voted um, for SB 168 which um, banned sanctuary cities and allowed our law enforcement officers to work with ICE to detain individuals. And, you know, that was just a, a really big betrayal, I believe, and on our immigrant community, especially in South Florida, especially being an immigrant from South Florida. And, um, and so I decided to run and make sure that we didn't lose the opportunity to um, flip the seat, and and that's why I'm here to make sure that I can continue my fight for justice and for our community, and to make sure that we have representation and to really just speak for the countless people and issues that are often ignored and neglected. And that's what I've been doing my entire life. So that's why I'm here, and that's a little bit about me. Well, thank you, and thank you for running. Um, I don't want to miss the opportunity to thank you for putting your hat in. It's it's not easy being a candidate. And I can tell you that in 2018, when the incumbent, the person that is leaving her seat, I'm trying to get a promotion, when she came to call your county, because I live in District 105, this is uh, you know someone that I should have seen. I've seen her once, and that was in October 2018, when she was trying to get the seat. And when I saw her, um, she's like, yeah, I'm here all the time. And that was the first time and the last time. I ever saw her. So um, certainly this COVID um, pandemic has put us in a totally different 
mindset. You know, we're not like traveling as much, but before COVID, she had a lot of opportunities uh, to come to this district and actually meet with her constituents instead of her donors. And she didn't take that opportunity. So I want to jump right into um, your uh, perspective on the things that we're going through in our state right now. And so the first thing I think, oh, you know, because we're all doing this virtually, we're not meeting in person. Uh, the first thing I want to talk about is the COVID-19 response um, as a state. Now, certainly the county can do something, the state can do something, and federally the response can be totally different. But um, what is your response to how the state has handled it? And how would you have done things differently if you were already an elected official at the state level? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Our state, our leaders, our governor really failed us. And, you know, maybe if we would have been proactive and reacted differently from the beginning of this pandemic, we would be having a different conversation. But um, we, since, the, since this pandemic occurred or happened, started, we have become the epicenter of, of this pandemic. Um, it's very shameful and embarrassing. Um, it's disorganized. Um, our governor, our leaders, our president did not have a, a plan, a concrete, real plan to, to solve this or to help us get through this. Um, we saw how our elected officials failed to call a special session to address the multiple issues with um, the unemployment system, just the pandemic overall, the lack of um, uh, PPE. And, and so, you know, that's, that's one thing I would have done differently. I would have definitely pushed to um, call a special session. And I know that, you know, Democrats are in the minority and I know that a lot of Democrats did this and um, it, it would have been tough too, but I would have definitely pushed for that. Um, we are, you know, tasked with the duty of passing legislation and also with the duty of allocating our funds and our resources. So I think um, now we just have to really push for funds, for funding for programs that will aid in the recovery of our communities or our, our economy. I think that um, unfortunately our governor really ignored a lot of the issues, a lot of the people, including farm workers, um, single parents, um, essential workers, nothing was really done for them. And I think that at this point, we have to, hopefully when we go back and we go, you know, and I'm part of the legislature, we need to invest and put money towards programs that are, that's going, that are going to help us recover. And, you know, some of those programs include um, making sure that we have grants and 0% interest loans for small businesses who were really um, affected by or and continue to be affected by this pandemic. Our um, bridge loan program really didn't help much and it went to um, really businesses that I don't think really are small businesses. And, um, and we need to provide more grants and loan programs for small businesses. We also need to incentivize and provide incentives for businesses that allow flexible work schedule for workers that can work from home. I think we're really going to have to work with the, um, the private sectors as well to make sure that they're allowing workers to that can work from home to work safely from home. We also need to um, provide funding to help parents identify safe and affordable health care. This pandemic has really set back a lot of single parents, particularly a lot of single um, mothers who had maybe 
you know, come a long way in terms of balancing their careers and child um, rearing. And this has really set them back because now they don't have anyone to look after their children. And I think that we definitely have to prioritize these parents and help them and help them work with their employers and, and also identify ways that will allow them to work and also care for the children. Um, we also need to help um, with funds to help residents pay uh, for rent and also work with lenders to allow homeowners to add um, you know, whatever amount was, has, is owed to the end of their mortgage payment period. Because once this moratorium is over, we're going to be facing a record number of foreclosures and evictions. We have to pay attention um, to all of that. In addition, we have to worry about the, um, the healthcare aspect of all of this, right? I think we really need to push for um, a statewide mask ordinance or a mandate. It's, it's needed. If you want to send people back to work, you have to make sure that they're, they're in safe and, and health, healthy conditions. And so I think focusing on making sure that businesses and hospitals and essential um, workers are getting the, the right um, safety um, um, and PPE and making sure that businesses are following um, CDC guidelines and, you know, CDC guidelines have been kind of all over the place. So maybe even our own that where we can assure that um, we're properly thinking about the safety and health of our of our of our residents, really, because we haven't taken that into account. And part of my job um, as managing attorney is to do that. I am tasked with the um, you know with making decisions on how to reopen, when to reopen, you know. And yes, we're, we're open, but we're following um, health and safety guidelines. And any decision that we make is always centered around what's best for our employees and what's best for our workers, what's gonna keep them safe. And you know, I, I hope that we can do that at the state legislature and hopefully you know, bring in some real recovery um, funds and planning. And I know, you know, a lot of people are wondering, how are we going to pay for this? <laughs> and how are we going to um, address the budget shortfall that we're, we have and that we will probably have? And that's definitely another um, topic of discussion that I, you know, I can also address. But I, I wanted to just end this response with that. We can, we'll definitely get into that for sure. And it sounds like, you know, what what this pandemic has done is basically kind of peeled back the layers on an already failing system. The system has been failing for people for years and years, and this pandemic has kind of opened our eyes to how horrible these systems that have been in place, the bridge gap loan, you know, like the unemployment um, benefits, all of these things that aren't working for people anyway, um, are really under stress now. And certainly the response has been outrageously inhumane, and it sounds like you're trying to put a little bit of humanity back in being a representative uh, for the people. Um, so I would like to really, really touch on a on a um, topic that you brought up when you were introducing yourself. Um, you you introduced yourself as an immigrant, and uh, I myself is an I'm an immigrant as well. And you know, all we all have unique stories, but a lot of the reasons that we come here are are pretty similar. And so um, one of the things that I noticed on your website is pretty prominently that one of the reasons that you're running is to protect immigrants in our 
communities. And so as a state representative, how do you think that you can accomplish that or work towards that? Well, definitely overturn SB 168. <laughs> that has to go. Um, there's a lot to do at the state level in terms of protecting our immigrants. I know that some of our communities were very responsive to um, the lack of, of attention and due attention that immigrants you know, didn't receive from our governor. And so we came together, our communities came together and started programs to help farm workers, to help families that weren't eligible for the stimulus checks because they were um, married to an immigrant. And, and um, we can definitely continue those types of programs. Definitely something that would help and we can do at the state legislature um, at the state level is to make sure that we are giving immigrants an opportunity to Get driver's licenses and IDs because right. that you know a lot of immigrants are actually placed in removal proceedings because they're driving without a license, but um, maybe they're the only um, person in their families that uh, the sole income um, you know breadwinner and they need to work. So we can definitely protect our communities in that way. Um, definitely, we we need to make sure that we're not um, discriminating and make sure that our, our police is not profiling and make sure that um, we're not working with ICE. Honestly, we, we really shouldn't. We, we wanna also encourage um, immigrants that have been victims of any of violence to come out because it really makes our community safer. And, it, and, it, you know, and we need to have a working relationship and we used to, we did. We had um, programs for U visas, um, which are visas for victims of, of, of really, horrible crimes, not just any crime, it's horrible crimes. And we used to have um, in each police department, a specific department for U visas. And we really don't anymore. And really that made our community safer to know that immigrants were reporting crime, that they weren't afraid to come forward and help the police. And we need to return to that. Um, and of course, you know, we need a new president. At the federal level, we need a new president. We really want change. We need to do it at the federal level. And I, I'll tell you, I, I'm I'm really tired, and and a lot of my colleagues are very discouraged. I I mean, some of us have not not me, but you know, a lot of them have really reconsidered immigration law. It's it's really horrible what we have to witness, what we have to fight, and so. Part of our mission and my mission is to make sure we're electing a new president too. Yeah. And we get rid of all these anti-immigration policies. Yeah, we have to make this country the beacon of hope and light that it once was and understand that immigrants are a big part of the reason of the success of this country. Um, one of the things that you talked about was SB 168, and that's a statewide law, right, that allows police officers to work as immigrant officers, um, immigration officers, and then that kind of um, disincentivizes people uh, that might uh, might not be here um, as a documented person to actually report crimes, right? Um, in Collier County, which I'm sure you knew this, um, before SB 168 took place, we had 287G where our local sheriff had a very similar agreement with the federal government where where his officers could work as ICE agents. Now, if we roll back SB 168, is there a way to address the basically what's hap what was happening 
in Collier is now happening statewide. Is there a way to address 287G um, at a statewide level? Um, I would I would think so, and I think it would be in it would come from funding. Yeah, you know, not allowing us to fund police departments that are cooperating with ICE would be a good way. You know, you hit them in the pockets. And that's really also a way to eliminate the um, a lot of these union, police union contracts. So you can kill two birds with one stone, right? You yeah. can, um, you can def I don't wanna say completely defund, but um, withhold funding of police departments that are cooperating with ICE. Um, and also that have um, police union contracts that make it harder for um, us to hold police officers accountable for misconduct. So, you know, those are those are ways to do this. And again, the legislature is something that provides money and funding, and we can certainly withhold that, that type of funding. This election is the most important of our lifetime, and we see how important it is to have competent and effective leadership in all areas of government, from the White House to the State House. Your local Democratic Party is a fully volunteer force of dedicated Democrats who are continuing to work hard to defeat Donald Trump and elect Democrats up and down the ballot this November, and we need your help. We cannot do many of the things we normally do this election year, but there are still many activities that are safe and can be done from home. We need volunteers to help out with things like writing postcards or making phone calls in a virtual phone bank that will help us win in November. If you have the time to help us, please go to www.callyourdems.org. That's www.callyourdems.org. And click on the Get Involved button and become a volunteer. With your help, we can win in November. So let's move on a little bit into another um, arena, uh, criminal justice reform. What do you see as uh, something that we need to do on a statewide level um, in terms of criminal justice reform? Well, there's a lot. <laughs> um, <laughs> so the reason why I care so much about criminal justice reform so that everyone understands and why it's been part of my platform since I decided to run in November is because I deal with individuals that have gone through the criminal justice system and I've been dealing with them for over 11 years. And so I see the effects of it. I see the injustices. I hear exactly what has happened. Some people were at the wrong place at the wrong time. Some people weren't given their due process. Some people weren't given an option. They're um, sometimes rushed into um, taking a plea agreement, a plea deal, when maybe they didn't, they didn't do anything. And you know, getting um, racial profiled is also an issue. And um, and so I, you know, part of my job is, to, and then some other people, they have committed mistakes and they're old mistakes, they're maybe petty and they deserve, um, they, they're, they have been rehabilitated and they deserve a second chance. And that's that's part of the work that I do, right? I represent individuals that have committed mistakes in the past and, demonstrate to a judge and to society that they are rehabilitated, that it was a mistake, and that they deserve a second chance. And so through all of that, I have seen the effects of the criminal justice system. And really to start, and we're gonna need reform in, in our statutes, 
we're going to need reform within our police departments, um, within the state attorney's office, within the, the PD's office, within our judicial system. And at the state level, we can certainly get rid of some of these statutes that um, just promote um, these racial discrepancies and including um, getting rid of minimum sentencing guidelines, which is something that should really be in the hands of a judge and a prosecutor and shouldn't be decided by the state. And that's one way to get rid of um, some of these racial injustices, including mass incarceration, because it's a huge mass incarceration is a huge problem. Um, something else that I would like to see done is um, moving from a system that's solely there to penalize you to something that's more rehabilitative. And I really think that some people really needed another chance and, and they need more um, rehabilitation and they need um, penalties that, you know, we don't want to lock everyone up. I would like to have every, um, every state attorney's office offer pretrial intervention programs be the first option as opposed to um, jail time or, you know, um, pleading guilty. Because here in Florida, we happen to be one of the only um, states that allows someone to participate in pre-child diversionary programs without admitting guilt. And that helps a lot in the immigration context. It's very crucial, in fact. And I would like to see more um, PTI. I would also um, like to end the cash bail system for certain offenses, because I really think that it really divides the rich from the poor <laughs> in terms of, of who can be released. Um, the cash bail system, I think we should eliminate it for non-violent offenses, um, drug-related offenses that are minor, like possession, you know, a small possession of marijuana, um, also for um, petty offenses and first-time offenders. We really shouldn't be, you know, wasting our money in locking people up that were caught driving without a license or with a suspended license because we do lock them up and we're wasting our money in that sense. Um, so, so those are some of the things that we can do at the state level. Um, again, we can also um, create laws that will hold people accountable, including state attorneys, um, and that includes from, you know, um, prosecuting crimes that they really shouldn't or from withholding exculpatory evidence, you know, just rogue state attorneys and also, of course, police misconduct. Again, we can definitely um, tighten our, our statutes to address police misconduct and also withhold funding, like I had mentioned, from um, counties that are contracting with police departments that have contracts that um, that make it difficult for us to hold police officers accountable for misconduct because you have to go you have to take a look at these police union contracts and a lot of them will protect a police officer from getting fired or terminated or properly investigated um, because of the wording of the contracts. So those are just some of the things that, you know, we can do. Miami and Broward have a really good opportunity this year to change the criminal justice system, especially Broward. 
their state attorney is up for, um, they're up for a new state attorney, a new sheriff, a new everything, really. And, you know, I've looked into the criminal justice system leaders here in, in Collier County. Um, you know, we don't have a chance to change those this year, really. I don't believe anyone's challenging the sheriff or the state attorney here. So, um, but, you know, I've seen a glimmer of hope in that I'm going in the right direction as, as far as um, criminal justice reform. I noticed that um, the the sheriff actually, and I, I honestly can't recall exactly what he changed, but he did change something um, right after the demonstrations and the calls for criminal justice reform. And I know that the state attorney in Collier also met with different um, agencies after the demonstrations as well to go over some of the criminal justice reform. And even though nothing substantial has been made, it's, it gives me a little bit of hope that, you know, they're at least willing to meet with people and talk to people. So, yeah. So the NAACP, things are not moving as quickly as they should for sure, but the NAACP um, was able to meet with the sheriff. Yeah. Um, and so, so, you know, Nothing substantial has happened, like you said, but the, the sheriff is listening. So that is um, that's that's good news. Um, I think the sheriff is actually up in the uh, not this year. He's actually up in 2022 for a reelection. So um, this was not the year. But um, I do want to I know that you don't have a ton of time with us tonight. And uh, I really want to talk about my favorite subject, and that's <laughs> the environment. Um, and uh, so here in Florida, obviously, the environment is the incredibly important component um, of our economy, um, and it's in trouble. We've had over 22 years of Republican control in state, and certainly more than that here in Collier County, and our environment is in trouble. So um, as a state representative, um, what can you do to start kind of trending that back and turning the tide to help us start to protect our environment? Yes, it's also a lot too. One <laughs> yeah. single hour, but yes. Um, so just a little, um, I guess, to preface this this topic, you know, coming into the race, I was not as informed as um, I am now. And yes, I knew that we had environmental issues. I knew I wanted to address them. And, and so what I did was I committed myself to learning as much as I could about the environment and making sure that I understood the issues so that we can properly address them, right? So I, um, I did enroll in a 10-week environmental leadership course in here in Miami, which I, I graduated from. I met some amazing people. I networked. I, I mean, it's just a, a huge group of environmentalists that really taught me a lot. And there's a lot to learn about this, the environment. Um, I even did a town hall on the environment after that with some of the facilitators. And I actually currently have a, an environmental um, policy advisor who is a biologist and he has a master's in um, environmental health and policy who has been really guiding me and it's, it's great, right? So there's gonna be two things that I wanna address in terms of that. And that's of course um, our water quality issues, which are huge in this district and really all of Florida. And for water quality, we have two, um, we have two, two different issues. We have a policy issue and we have a budget issue. The policy, the policy issue comes from the fact that we are not investing in our conservation programs properly. We're not, we're also misusing the funds that are in there. We really need to make sure that we are doing everything that we can and that we properly fund 
conservation programs that so that we can buy enough land to restore our Everglades and restore that natural flow of water, right? Because our waters are are plagued with toxic algae blooms almost daily. And you know, when people talk about water quality issues, they always refer to red tide. And that, I mean, that was just like the worst, but this happens every day, almost every day. There's toxins in our waters almost every day. There's an algae bloom almost every day. And people report this and it's awful that this continues to happen um, in our environment, right? And so to, to really address that, we really need to change, make sure that we're prioritizing environmental policies to restore our, our flow of water and our Everglades and also making sure that we are adopting strict pollution um, policies as well. Because, you know, the main culprit for that is agricultural runoff and um, fertilizer, uh, agricultural runoff, right? And um, and so we have to make sure that we're also addressing that. Um, sorry about that. That's okay. And, and so, um, you know, that's part of the policy problem that we have because it's really um, driven by special interest and by lack of policies. And we definitely need to um, make sure that we are prioritizing that. Um, the funds from that were supposed to go into our conservation um, program after Amendment 1 passed in 2014 is being misused. You know, the way that I think people understood that amendment to read was that it was the funds would be to buy new land to restore the Everglades, but um, it's being used to um, manage or work on on lands that are already managed by the state. And we're never going to get anywhere if we don't buy more land to restore the Everglades. It's just not going to work. So that's a policy issue, right? The budget issue comes. Um, in terms of replacing our septic tanks and converting them, I'm sorry, to sewer. And that's a budget issue because we just never have enough money for it. And it, it seems like our, our government's just not prioritizing it and we need to. Um, and so it, it's definitely costly, but I think that we need to come up with funds in, and we can use, you know, a combination of federal funds, of, um, of state funds, local funds, matching um, funds programs, um, you know, a combination of zero interest um, uh, uh, loans, also grants to help homeowners convert these and not just convert them, but also make sure that we are fixing our very old and aging sewer line infrastructure, which is also causing problems because there are pipe bursts a lot and we need to make sure that we have um, a strong system. So those are the two that you know I, I would really like to focus on at the state level. And of course, there's there's plenty more, right? There's sea level rise, saltwater intrusion. There's there's just a lot more. Um, but those are the two main ones that I, I'll be hopefully focusing on. Okay, thank you very much. Um, I wanted to talk about um, reproductive rights. Um, you know, a lot of Times people think about abortion and safe abortion, but it's really a healthcare issue, right? And so reproductive rights is something that you highlight on your website, something that you are committed to work on at the state level. And uh, you know, we, we all hear about Roe versus Wade; it's a Supreme Court decision. 
what can you do at the state level to help to preserve uh, some of our reproductive rights? Well, our state, um, our state already protects um, the right to seek an abortion or terminate a pregnancy. And something that we can do is preserve that right <laughs> in the state. Um, something that I would like to do is overturn the parental consent law that took effect July 1st. And I, I, you know, I'm just, I'm completely disappointed that it passed and that it actually even had some Democrats voting yes on it. Um, and so I would like to overturn that. And yeah, we can definitely try to preserve our, um, our right to terminate a pregnancy that we have right now under the US and Florida constitution. Um, so that's why it's it's really important to make sure that we are electing pro-choice um, men and women that can help us preserve that right. Because, you know, if, if they overturn Roe v. Wade, it's gonna be left up to us. And with the new um, conservative majority at the Florida Supreme Court, it can it can be eliminated real quickly. Yeah. <laughs> so we have to make sure that we're protecting that right. Um, women's issues are, are very big for me. Um, something that I also want to see done in Florida is the ratification of the ERA. And you know, a lot of people ask me what's the first thing you'd like to do or what's one main thing, and I'm like, I want to ratify the ERA. And they look at me like, okay, like that's not important. And <laughs> to me, it is. And, you know, I owe it to all the women that have supported me throughout this campaign. And, you know, this campaign has really been fueled by, by a lot of great, amazing women. And we want that equality. We want to make sure that it's, it's, it's in, in our constitution, it's listed in there and that we're ratifying it. And yeah, it's important to me. Thank you. Um, and, and yeah, you, you make a good point. We all think about, um, you all think about what, what happens at the federal level, but there's so much at the state level that affects our reproductive rights. And the parent consent bill was one of the reasons that we need to definitely change Tallahassee. Um, so it's we're getting kind of close to the end, but before we let you go, I do want to ask you about public education in this state. Um, back when I was in school in the 1900s, I thought that we had a pretty good public education system in this state. And um, I'm, you know, I see the statistics about how we're pretty much bottom of the barrel now. Um, yeah. And it's going to, I feel like that's going to take a lot to change that. And how do we start? Where do we start and ensure that the kids that are in school today are getting a better education and then build kind of that foundation for the future? Yeah. So that education is also part of, you know, my top priorities. And I had an excellent opportunity to go to public schools and get an education, and I want that for every child. And I want every child to have that same opportunity, regardless of their socioeconomic status, their gender, their race, where you know wherever they live. And unfortunately, the state has been chipping away at our public education funds and prioritizing. Um, charter schools, special interests really, because most of these charter schools are managed by for-profit corporations and people are enriching themselves from taxpayer dollars. So, you know, it's mind boggling to me how we, we Florida saw 
a problem with our public education system and their solution was to start defunding it and create private charter schools basically and that that really doesn't make sense so now what i'd like to see and i know it's it's you know it's going to be um tough it's going to be a challenge i i want to stop the use of public funds to um from going towards charter schools and voucher programs because that's not where it was intended to go it's it's taxpayer money it should be put back into our public school system and um i also want to make sure that those that those um charter schools that are already in place once they are up for renewal that they're not being managed by for-profit um, organizations they should not they should not be managed by that um, i also want to make sure that we're properly funding our schools in terms of making sure that the staff the school staff is being properly paid and that our um our you know books and supplies are being also prioritized um, and you know wages for teachers and uh, custodial staff, cafeteria staff, for everyone that has uh, something to do with the education of our children and that um, are in our children's everyday lives, right? So those are some of the main things that I would like to see happen. Um, it's definitely going to be a tough fight because I think by this point we have invested so much in charter schools and people have a, a big interest <laughs> in them. Yeah that it's going to be hard to fight off, but we we have to start prioritizing our public schools and and, you know, giving students a chance and an opportunity to learn. And I want to make sure that our, our public schools are second to none. So, you know, that, that's just the start. There's a there's a yeah, lot of things. if we have great public schools, we end that school to prison pipeline. Right. And that's another criminal justice issue. The, all of these issues just Kind of mesh because that's that's how this all works so i know that um you didn't have a full hour with us today but i want to appreciate uh you for coming on here and for giving us your time if you have a couple of words that you'd like to say to us um parting words um things you'd like us to know about your campaign go right ahead and do that now um and i'll put your website back up on the screen okay yeah so i again thank you for having me and and it was a pleasure to be here and speak with you i hope that i was able to um give you a, a better glimpse into my candidacy and who i am and why i'm running um I, and i just want to leave you know leave you with this we all know that this district is extremely flippable right and we definitely will need a strong candidate to do that this year um we're going to be up against you know, either of the two Republic, the main Republicans that get through, we're going to be up against a challenger, a really competitive challenge. And um, I hope that you'll join me in the same way that a lot of elected officials have joined me, a lot of community leaders have joined me in making sure that we get through um, the general election this year and that we don't miss the opportunity to flip this district. And, you know, if I can answer any questions, or, or um, if you'd like to volunteer or, or, or have any questions for me, you can always reach me through my website. I'm also on social media. Um, you can send me a Facebook message. I respond, that's me <laughs> responding and Instagram and Twitter. Um, and, and again, thank you for the opportunity to be here. I, I really did enjoy it, thank you. Thank you for your time. And as a, rem as a reminder, uh, Ms. Poros has an 
uh, primary opponent and the winner of the primary on August 18th will move on to the general election uh, to face the winner of the Republican primary. So thank you for being here very much and uh, have a great night. Thank you for listening. You can find out more about Miss Porras's campaign on our website. Thanks to Agent 13 for the theme song. Please remember to rate us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We have 88 days left until Election Day. Let's win this thing. Hope everyone is staying safe out there. Until next time, so long. <laughs>